pivoting. Hey there, I'm Eric Olson. And I'm Kevin Daisy. Join us on our journey to building a $100 million company. Hey, what's happening? This is Eric J. Olson. In January of 2021, I published a book named Million Dollar Journey. I had the audio for that. It's on audible.com, but I'm going to share it with you right here on this podcast. So this is a chapter from the book. Some of these episodes are going to be long. Some will be short, but I'm going to read the whole thing to you. One chapter at a time. Here you go. After hearing it, let me know what you think on Instagram. I hang out there at eric.j.olson. That's E-R-I-K.j.olson. And without further ado, here's a chapter from Million Dollar Journey. As you continue to grow your business, you'll start to better understand the advantages and pitfalls of the business you're in. If you're like me, then you'll start or have already started a business based on the expertise you've acquired up to that point. But just because you're doing something you're good at doesn't mean it's the best business for you to be in. When I went into business for myself, I was a software developer. So that's the kind of business I started. I was able to get the company up and running, but it always struggled to scale. First, it was difficult to explain the industry niche I was in. No matter how I explained to people that I built sophisticated, data-driven web applications, people unfamiliar with the niche always thought I was either an IT guy or a website guy. Neither of those oversimplifications were quite right. Since it wasn't clear to people what I did, how could I expect them to give me referrals? Turns out, they couldn't. Leads were hard to come by. Second, it was near impossible to identify who needed my services. Some of our clients were startups, some were Fortune 500s. Most were somewhere in between. There were no external attributes that I could use to determine if any given person or business may need our services. In a room of 100 people, I had no clue whatsoever as to whether someone needed us or not. I'd have to talk to every person in the room and hope they expressed interest in my service after they learned what I did. Add to that the rapid changes in the software development world. The quality of offshore development had steadily improved for years, and they were much less expensive than what I was charging. The competitive advantages I had, being an American, working the same hours as my clients, and understanding their idioms and inflections, was once enough to convince people to pay more for me. But with offshoring noticeably improving and being less expensive, it became harder for me to overcome those objections. On one project, we had been paired with an offshore development company out of Costa Rica. They were just one time zone behind us, so they worked the same hours as our clients for all practical purposes. They used the same tools we did, and unlike deliverables from other offshore companies we'd inherited over the years, their work was high quality. They even joked around with us and our mutual client. They were half the price as us and just as good. 
I was losing my competitive advantage in search of a partner. More frequently than before, clients who hired me to build a sophisticated, data-driven application also needed a marketing website. Having built many applications that didn't succeed in the past, I knew that a product needed a marketing website to explain what that product was and why a customer should try it. I'd learned that lesson early on with Measured Mile and saw it play out over and over again with my clients. Building a custom web application or a mobile app wasn't good enough. A marketing website was needed to provide an overview of the product and to persuade people to try it. Having turned away marketing work in the past, but seeing this shift in my niche occurring before my eyes, I decided we would try our hand at also building marketing websites for our clients. We were developers after all, so how hard could it be? Well, it was harder than I expected. As developers, we could build anything and it would work great, but it probably wouldn't look great. We weren't designers, and at the same time, we didn't understand the art of persuasion or of sales copywriting. After trying to build a couple of marketing websites, I decided that I needed to find a web designer who I could partner with. That's when I bumped into Kevin Daisy at a learning event. He and his company only built marketing websites. After chatting a bit, and me explaining that I needed a web design company to build marketing websites for my clients, he mentioned that he had a similar issue. But for him, it was just the opposite. He could design something to look great, but could only provide the functionality that came out of the frameworks he used. When a client wanted something else, something custom, his options to satisfy his clients were limited. Knowing we could help each other, we said that we'd refer each other when there were opportunities. He then mentioned that he had a prospect who not only needed a marketing website, but also needed a more sophisticated database application. He said he'd connect the dots and set up a meeting with the prospect. The prospect already knew Kevin, but now it was time for him to meet me. A meeting was set up with Kevin's prospect at my office. The prospect was eager to begin and well-funded and signed contracts with both me and Kevin within a week of the first meeting. The concept was that Kevin's team and my team would work closely to design and build a marketing website and a custom application for the client. We had worked with other design companies in the past, but never quite that closely or on a project that large. The project lasted for months and our teams got to know one another. We often collaborated online, occasionally worked at each other's offices, and respected the work that the other group was doing. Seeing how well the teams worked together and how much fun this project was turning out, it was apparent that working together was a winning combination. This revelation led to many conversations between me and Kevin about the struggles each of us faced in our companies. Some of my clients who hired me to build sophisticated, data-intensive applications also needed marketing websites, which I didn't do. Some of his clients who hired him to build marketing websites also needed sophisticated, data-intensive applications. Turns out, 
our combined clients didn't quite understand the differences between what each of us did because they were asking each of us for stuff we did not actually do. Clients would want to give us the whole project, even the parts we couldn't do in-house. But we each needed to find someone else to do part of the projects. That led me to having work he could do and him having work I could do. Through these conversations, we also learned that each felt stuck at our current market position. I had grown well over the past few years, but wasn't confident I'd continue to grow. It was simply too difficult for me to identify and find clients. I knew I would never be able to hire a salesperson to do what I did. That meant that the company would only grow as big as the network I was cultivating. In other words, it would always be limited to my personal reach. On the contrary, Kevin got plenty of leads. Using SEO and the network he'd built up over the years, his phone would ring off the hooks. Many of his prospects were people who wanted to start a business, but had little money for a website. That meant their two or three designers had to build a lot of marketing websites, upward of 50 a year in order to bring in enough revenue. Kevin got lots of leads, but was stuck doing low margin work. I got few leads, but when they landed, they were high margin. He wanted high margin and I wanted more leads. We each needed what the other had. The merger. Over a beer, I offhandedly commented that we'd kill it if we merged into one company. By that point, our teams had worked on a couple of common projects over the past several months. They knew and liked each other. Kevin and I also worked well together. Turns out, Kevin had been thinking the same thing. We each had what the other wanted, and combined, we thought we would have what we would need to make it big. Casual talk of merging continued for months. Although we both liked the idea, merging would be a major change for both of us, and we proceeded cautiously. Neither of us had ever done anything like this before, so we both asked other entrepreneurs how a merger worked and whether they thought it was a good idea. We didn't rush into anything. Synergies on that first project led us to jointly pursue other work. He had another prospect who needed a large project built, and it had to be well-designed from a user experience perspective. It was a good fit for our combined teams, although it would be one of the bigger projects either of us had taken on. The project would be a stretch for us, but we had all of the talents we needed to pull it off. We pitched the company as a joint effort, two separate companies going after one project. If we were selected, then the client would contract with each of us independently, and we'd work on the project as a collaborative team. That was the plan. Kevin and I agreed that if we won that project, it was a sign that we had found a business model that worked. Winning the project, one that was bigger than either of us could do on our own, would signal that we needed to merge to get more work like that. We decided that if we won the project, we would definitely merge. 
But then bad news came. We didn't win the project. We were disappointed. The idea of merging suddenly took a backseat. Wanting to understand why we didn't win the project, we requested a debriefing call with the prospect. During that call, they explained to us that one of the main reasons they didn't select us was because they preferred to work with one company instead of two. The company they selected for the project had all the skills in-house under one roof to pull off the project. With that explanation, we realized we would continue to lose bigger projects if we remained small and independent. So although our plan going into the bid was to merge if we won, the actualization that we had lost since we were separate ironically pushed us to the same conclusion. We had to merge if we wanted to grow. We wanted bigger projects with bigger clients, and we would never get those or achieve the goals of scaling our businesses unless we shook things up. My first year in business, I made $85,000. That was amazing considering I was part-time for eight months that year and full-time only the last four months. The next year, I pulled in $225,000, then $800,000 the year after that. By the end of 2016, top-line revenue was $900,000. I was starting to plateau, and getting to that point had drained me. Given how hard it was to find new clients, I had little faith that I'd continue to grow. A merger would introduce another person who could help organize and run the company. After seven years, Kevin had built his business up to $300,000 in 2016, but at the burden of having to build over 50 new websites every year. That's a lot of work for not much in return. But work was plentiful and easy for him to find. Where he experienced steady but slow growth with a lot of volume and low profits, I was just the opposite. We worked with a few clients at a time and generated high profits from each, but sourcing future work was a challenge. Many of the strengths in my business offset his business's weaknesses and vice versa. There were certainly synergies to be had, and we would double our executive oversight of the business with a merger. We had our lawyers draw up the appropriate paperwork. We had a lot to consider. A merger of two companies is analogous to getting married. We were combining not only the two companies that we built ourselves from scratch, but we were also combining our finances, opportunities, and futures. We had to hammer out how we'd work together, who held what amount of equity in the new company, and what each of our roles would be. It required many conversations and much planning. The agreement needed to document all those things. Once drafted, we took a few weeks to read through it and make sure we wanted to proceed. Once we made up our minds, we proceeded quickly. We signed the paperwork on a Monday afternoon. The next day, we rented a U-Haul and moved both of our companies out of their old offices and into a new, much larger office. Once moved in, we started the process of settling in as a new combined company. After merging, our annual revenue that year was technically $1.2 million, 
When you combine the $900,000 I had earned and the $300,000 he had earned, after eight years of struggling, I had finally exceeded $1 million per year. We had finally made it out of the 96% of businesses that linger below $1 million in revenue forever or die trying. Although we were technically a million-dollar company, we had only done that by combining our independently earned revenue. It was a milestone, but it didn't feel quite as good as I had hoped for. I wouldn't be happy until together, as the new company, we earned $1 million. The merger was one of the most significant pivots I had made to date. In the past, I had pivoted from a career in civil engineering to software development and from being an employee to an employer. But with this pivot, I had the most at risk. I had joined forces with someone I'd only known for a few months. Would it work out? Would I even like working with Kevin? Luckily, our styles complemented each other and we got along great. After all, we are similar and both share a vision of growing big. Once we got past the turbulence of merging our companies, our staff, and our cultures, we needed to put effort into what exactly this new company would focus on. A new valley of death. Going into the merger, our plan was to build sophisticated applications that not only worked great, but also looked great and were amazing to use. Throughout 2017, we executed on that plan, adding branding and marketing pizzazz to what we built. Each application was also complemented with a snazzy marketing website that properly sold the product to potential customers. With the increased workload of our combined companies, we hired a few more people. We also decided to add digital marketing as a service. Our thought process was that after we built a website or a mobile app for a client, we could continue to service them with digital marketing. After all, our clients needed continued marketing support after we delivered what they hired us to build. Kevin and I had both dabbled in digital marketing, but it wasn't our forte. So we hired Jake to be a one-man digital marketing show for our clients. As projects came and went, clients always needed marketing afterwards. Although the big money was in software development, there was a long tail aspect of marketing that I didn't appreciate much at first. We had a tremendous number of software development leads in the summer of 2017. That was good because we had a whole crew of expensive software developers who we needed to put to work. At one point, we seriously discussed options for acquiring more office space because we were about to get slammed with so much work. We had four or five big projects teed up by early fall. We just needed one or two of them to come through and we were going to kill it. Summer turned into autumn and before we knew it, Thanksgiving had passed. Frustratingly for both of us, our sure thing leads stopped returning our calls. We pressed on and kept trying to close them. When we were lucky enough to speak with them, they tell us they still wanted to work with us, but needed more time. As Thanksgiving transitioned into Christmas, we realized we were getting ghosted. 
we were unlikely to land any of these sore things. We also realized that our existing projects were coming to an end. By definition, a project has a start date and an end date. All projects end. At that time, Christmas 2017, about one-third of our projects had already ended, and another one-third would wrap up in a couple of weeks. We were running out of work. If those leads didn't materialize, and with our existing work ramping down quickly, we recognized that we could find ourselves in trouble. If we didn't find new work quickly, we wouldn't expand. We'd be contracting. Over the holidays between Christmas and New Year's, the business world pretty much comes to a standstill. During downtime that week, I took a deep dive into our finances. I looked at our expenses and compared them to projections for which projects we could end up winning. But the prognosis was not good since most of these prospects had ghosted us for months. What made me think they'd all of a sudden come around after dodging us for the entire fall and holiday season? What would it mean if none of those projects came to fruition? I projected our revenue for the next year. At the least, I wanted to make what we had made the previous year. We had already booked about $200,000 in new work going into the new year. In order to just tread water, we'd have to find, sell, service, and collect another $1 million in work. It was heartbreaking. Here we were currently operating at $1.2 million in revenue, but we only had $200,000 in revenue projected so far in 2018. We had a huge gap in our finances. Kevin and I were going to have to hustle hard to fill a million-dollar gap, or our company would shrink. Not happy with my revenue projection, I next broke down our expenses into different services that we offered. Our expenses were classified as software development, marketing websites, website support, and digital marketing. Once I understood how much we spent on expenses supporting each of those services, I projected how much revenue we had already secured for each service going into 2018. Again, the outlook was not great. In aggregate, the projections at the service level added up to the same as the company projections. But I noticed a few differences this time. First, the bulk of the $1 million revenue gap at the company level came from software development. Although it was the most profitable for us, it was also the hardest to secure. Turns out, we'd have to collect a whopping $700,000 in new projects just to match our 2017 revenue in that category alone. That's a lot of new work to find, complete, and get paid for, and we didn't have any good leads at the moment. Second, our marketing websites and website support services were also projected to be in the red. We'd have to find another $300,000 in new projects in these two categories just to break even in 2018. But there was one silver lining. Although small, our digital marketing service was projected to be profitable. We only had a handful of digital marketing clients. That meant there wasn't a ton of revenue, 
but our expenses were low. Digital marketing was making a profit, but since revenue was relatively low, it didn't amount to much profit. But what digital marketing offered that the other services didn't was continual work. Unlike project work, digital marketing doesn't have an end date. It's not so much a project as a continuing campaign. Marketing never ends. It just changes over time. Clients always need marketing, and our digital marketing services would recur into the foreseeable future. Focusing on our future. Since marketing was a recurring activity, the likelihood was high that those clients and that revenue would stay with the company until at least the end of the year. We had contracts that provided for monthly payments and recurring revenue. As long as we kept providing our clients with digital marketing services that they valued, they'd stay with us. Although the profits from digital marketing didn't add up to much money, the profit margin was healthy. With the healthy profit margin, selling more digital marketing would amount to more dollars. If we got more of that kind of work, the profit in dollars would start to increase. With that realization, we started on the next phase of our company's history. Our plan was simple. Get more digital marketing work, which meant recurring revenue. Though simple, the plan was fraught with risk. It's not every day that you completely shift the focus of your company from one type of work to another. Many bad things could happen along the way. If our timing on the transition was not just right, then we could lose developers before they finished the work they had started. Or if we kept developers on for too long, then we could blow through our cash reserves and not live to see another day. At the same time, we also had to hire and train new digital marketers as we transitioned from the software business. Project revenue would be replaced by recurring revenue, which would bring a slew of issues along with it. We had to update contracts, rework terms and conditions, and rethink every workflow process. We were built for project work, and our systems had to be re-architected for recurring revenue. Everything was changed, and all at once. We felt like we had no time to spare and we hurried with the transition. Such rapid change in such a compressed timeframe is risky. Everything could go horribly wrong. But we realized and agreed that our greatest risk was to do nothing. If we hoped for the best and hoped that the software business would magically turn back around, we could lose everything we'd worked for over the past decade. We just wouldn't let that happen. No matter the struggle, we were going to brute force transition Array Digital into a digital marketing powerhouse. Like most years before it, 2018 was a year of struggle to find our purpose and a more stable business model. But little by little, we got more digital marketing work. Soon we hired another digital marketer. As our software department continued to limp along, our digital marketing department was growing. The plan appeared to be working. Slower than I had hoped for, but it was coming together nonetheless. 
Our pursuit of getting more digital marketing would eventually change the direction of the company. A pivot was coming, a significant pivot, to completely focus the company on digital marketing and recurring revenue. Although we were in the throes of transitioning from project revenue to recurring revenue and transitioning from a software development company to a digital marketing company, we maintained our revenue levels at just north of $1 million per year in 2018. It was close, but we were still part of the 4% club of companies that earned $1 million per year in revenue. By the end of 2018, the transition was complete. We had wrapped up the bulk of our software projects and our software developers had moved on to other companies and we had staffed up with digital marketers. With the transition and a makeover of our marketing message to focus exclusively on digital marketing, our revenues began to climb. Not only did our revenue climb, but it climbed consistently and predictably. Our revenue source was stable and growing and continues to grow to this day. Remember the beginning of Million Dollar Journey where I wrote that your first million will be your toughest? It was, and by a long shot. It took me eight long years with many missteps to reach $1 million in revenue. Once we crossed that threshold, our revenue never decreased. In fact, it's increasing at its fastest rate yet. With fixed expenses and an expanding portfolio of clients, it became easy for us to project our finances and growth into the future. The recurring revenue that came with digital marketing meant we no longer had to find and deliver millions of dollars of new project work every year, year after year. Recurring revenue meant we could stop incessantly chasing the dollar. Instead, we could land clients and focus on providing great services and results. If we got more clients, great. But unlike before, if we didn't land new clients, then we weren't at risk of going out of business. No longer did new clients replace old clients. New clients were in addition to old clients. I could finally see a path forward for the company. I could finally begin to imagine where all this could go. When to pivot. Our pivot to digital marketing was a massive transition for us, but it wasn't the first transition I've made. I had transitioned from civil engineering to software development and later to digital marketing. I had transitioned from working for companies to owning a company. Transition, it seems, is a natural state for me. Many entrepreneurs I know are uncomfortable with transitioning. Although they see the signs on the wall, signs telling them they should consider pivoting their business, many simply ignore them. If you find yourself in a similar situation, ask yourself which future you'd prefer. One where you continue to have the same struggles you're having now, or one where your current struggles are behind you and you're moving onward. It's easy to get paralyzed into inaction. Pivoting is hard. It's not natural and it's not straightforward. You won't know if you're doing the right thing until after you've started down your new path. But if you see your company on a downward spiral, 
don't ride your current situation down to zero. Before you crash and burn, you'll have a window of opportunity to pivot. Evaluate if the window is narrow or wide. That will tell you how fast you need to pivot. Or you may decide to not pivot. It's clearly your choice and yours alone. But which is going to get you to the seven-figure mark? Remember, your goal is not simply to earn a living. It's to excel and create a million-dollar company. If pivoting away from your comfort zone is the way to do it, then you'll need to do it. Chapter takeaways. Number one, if your company lacks a service that would make you more whole, seek out another company that you can partner with to fill the gap. Number two, once you find a good company to partner with, test them out. Work on multiple projects together. Number three, a merger or acquisition can be used to permanently fill your service gaps. When considering a merger or acquisition, take time to consider the pros and cons of what you're about to do and how it will affect your key employees and yourself. Number four, there will be a period of time after a merger or acquisition when you have to come to terms with what you just did. Combining companies is a merging of power, authority, resources, personnel, and processes. The coming together won't happen overnight. Be patient, but hurry on with it. Number five, you'll likely end up pivoting more than once. Always be on the lookout for signs that a pivot may be needed. Don't ignore the signs. Always ask if a pivot will improve your position as a company and if it will help you get to where you want to go. Are you a business owner looking to reach more customers and grow? Array Digital is a world-class digital marketing agency that partners with companies just like yours. We've worked with top brands throughout the country and love helping businesses generate more revenue, employ more people, and serve more customers. Reach out to find out more about our award-winning website design, SEO, advertising, and social media. You can find us online at thisisarray.com or call us at 757-333-3021.